Okay, so every blessing to you all and welcome back to a somewhat blustery May morning. Some years ago, I was able to make a three-part video uh, entitled The Three Terrible Seas and uh, that was made back in 2007 and some of you may remember it and I was able to look at the Catholics, the Charismatics and the Calvinists. Well, this morning, Lord willing, I want to look at the Catholics and the Calvinists and I guess to some extent this may be a continuation uh, concerning my previous videos entitled What Every Catholic Must Know. Let's start, if we may, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking. Take a look, if you will, at verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. Salvation has been offered to everybody, Jew and Gentile, man or woman, boy or girl. And that's why we at this ministry preach the gospel. That's why we at this ministry call all men everywhere to repent. And here the Lord is telling you from verse 8, for everyone, not some, but for everyone that asketh receiveth. Now, Matthew 5 to Matthew 8, strictly speaking, is concerning the Kingdom of Heaven, the Kingdom of God, which will be fully up and running during the millennial reign. But spiritually, for today, we can take uh, this verse and apply it to those living in the church age. Seven, ask, and it shall be given. You seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So I take these verses from seven and eight, and I apply them to those of us living today. And I'll, I'll put it to you this way, that if you were to ask the Lord to save you, he will. If you were to seek his mercy, you will find it. If you were to knock, picturing the Lord's throne, if you will. If you were to search for him with all your mind, heart, soul and strength, you will find him. So I have no problem whatsoever taking these verses and applying them in a spiritual sense to those of us living today. Go to Matthew chapter 11, please. Matthew chapter 11, still very breezy. Matthew chapter 11, this will be continuing on. This verse from my uh, statement from the last couple of videos, looking at Mary being far from infallible, looking at James, her full son with Joseph being far from infallible. And here, John the Baptist, Mary's second cousin, has stumbled. John the Baptist, like you and I, had two natures. Matthew 11, take a look, if you will, at verse 6, Jesus speaking. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? Are ye shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Look at 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, 
that hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was a great saved man, a very bold man, a man who lost his life for his second cousin. And yet John, like you and I, had two natures. And here the Lord once again shows us that his own family were far from being infallible. Look at verse 28, please. Jesus still speaking. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the key to being saved. You need to be at your wit's end. You need to come to the end of yourself. And until you come to the end of yourself, until you are broken, until you see yourself as no good, the Saviour will never be appealing to you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Who else could say that? What Pope could say that? What President could say that? What pop star could say that? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me all ye that labour. Once again the offer is offered to everybody. The invitation has been given to everybody. And that's what we call provision. God provides an atonement for the world. But you have to personally appropriate it. You have to receive it. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You can't imagine Muhammad saying that, can you? Or Jose Maria Escavera or Confucius. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. People pay good money to seek rest. There was one Hollywood director who spent 18 years going to a psychiatrist to get rest. 18 years. He must have spent maybe $50,000. And uh, from what I can ascertain, he is still to receive that peace. But if you come to the foot of the cross today, if you receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Saviour, you will get peace straight away. And if you are backsliding, quit it, and come back into fellowship with the Lord. Matthew 13, take a look at verse 10. This will explain what was occurring in John chapter 6. And this will explain why most of the jury didn't believe on him. Matthew 13, take a look, if you will, at verse 10, please. And the disciples came... And said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Lord, why are you speaking to the multitudes in parables? Why not just come out and tell us what you think? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. Until you are saved, you are dead in your sins. And that's where we get the expression that you are dead from the neck up. Until you are saved, this is a closed book to you. Until you are saved, the meaning of scripture and subjects such as the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our Lord and Saviour is only accessible, only applicable, only relevant to the church. And that's why I think it's not always wise for those of us which are saved to speak about the rapture to unsaved people. Now, I've made that mistake myself over the years. I told you some videos ago when I first got saved how I spent 
quite a lot of time during my early days trying to trying to win friends and family to the to the Lord and I still try to do that of course but and I put the cart before the horse big mistake now I meant well and I know many of you mean well when you try and offer the signs of scripture evidence of the Lord's imminent return uh, to somehow aid the witness of the gospel the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ but don't do that just stick to the law of God use the Ten Commandments if you need to break them down and then maybe use prophecy as well but here the Lord is telling the Apostles because it is given unto you and just the Apostles and maybe the 70 as well to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it is not given you've got two parts of jury here you've got one part which is under an Old Testament curse which Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Isaiah speak about and you've got a small part of jury like uh, Simeon and Anna and the Apostles and the Seventy and John the Baptist of course that believed that were open to the things of the scripture 12 for whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath it's like a paradox is it not therefore speak I to them in parables because seeing they see not and hearing they hear not neither do they understand underline that in your Bibles neither do they understand and that will make more sense to you as we go through John chapter 6 look at 14 and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah which saith by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive for this people's heart is wax gross and the ears are dull of hearing and the eyes they have closed lest at any time lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them he wanted Israel to be saved it tells us from John chapter 1 how he came unto his own being the children of Israel but they received him not they didn't believe on him like 1st Samuel chapter 8 give us a king to reign over us like Matthew 27 we have no king but Caesar like uh, Acts chapter 7 kill Stephen we are gonna stay in alignment we're gonna stay close to Rome we are gonna be in a concordance with Rome and you don't really understand that but that was that is what was going on back in the Gospels the Jews were very political when they said we have no king but Caesar they were making the case that Caesar was their king was their God for this people's heart is wax gross pretty much all a jury and the ears are dull of hearing they went through the rigmarole of religion they went to the synagogue every Sabbath they went up to the temple two or three times a year they tithed they did this they did that but their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and should be converted and I should heal them devastating and this curse is still very much relevant today 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Satan, as the God of this world, has blinded their eyes. He's blinded their hearts. He's blinded their minds to the truth of Scripture. Go to chapter 22, please. And that's why it's so hard to win Jews to the Lord. On top of that, that's why it's so hard to bring Catholics to the Lord. And you ask yourself this, are you trying? Are you trying to bring Jews to the Lord, or Muslims, or Catholics? On the one hand, we don't want to spend too much time, as Bible believers, going over the same old ground, with the same old people concerning the same old subjects. And I believe this, that once we witness to somebody who we know, could be a family friend, it could be somebody we work with, it could be a neighbour, could be a Catholic, a Jewish or Islamic neighbour or acquaintance. I think once we've done that, we should move on to somebody else. We shouldn't keep going over the same old ground with the same old people. But Calvinists will tell you that man doesn't have a free will. That man needs to be made alive. He needs to have his switch flicked. Matthew 22, Jesus speaking again. Take a look, if you will, at verse 3. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Look at verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. You have a marriage, you want to invite friends and family to the marriage, right? And sent forth his servants, a picture of the apostles, and maybe you and I, if we're saved, to call them that were bidden to the wedding. Repent, get saved. If you don't repent, you all likewise perish, and they would not come. Not they could not come, like the Calvinists believe, but that they would not come. But what is going on here, as far as the Jews are concerned? Why was there so many problems for the Lord? Why was he battling them for most of his ministry? Go to John chapter 5. A lot of scriptures to look at this morning. John chapter 5. Uh, John chapter 5, look, if you will, at verse 40, Jesus speaking again, And you will not come to me, that you might have life. You won't come to me. Not you can't come to me, but that you will not come to me. Because the Jews were A, under a judgment of God, meaning a curse, and B, were self-righteous, like most people today are. I'm a pretty good guy. I hold down two or three jobs. I've raised five children, I've had two mortgages, I'm a pretty decent kind of guy. Self-righteous. And that type of person will never be saved. Before to you one more time, and ye, all of you, will not come to me, that ye might have life. Why wouldn't they come to him? Look at verse 47, please. But if ye believe not his writings concerning Moses, concerning all of the Old Testament writers, I might add, how shall ye believe my words? He's saying this, that Moses wrote the Old Testament, the first five books, Job, and uh, some other writings, but the Jews didn't believe Moses' writings. 46, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, if he wrote of me. The Jews gave lip service to Jehovah. The Jews, like the Catholics and Protestants for the most part, went through the motions. Yes, they were very religious, 
went to mass regularly, went to the temple regularly, went to the mosque regularly, but they didn't believe in the writings of Moses. They didn't believe in the Word of God, and that's why many, not some, but many, will say to me in that day, Jesus Christ, great white throne judgment, Lord, Lord, they don't call him Rabbi, they don't call him Master, they say, Lord, Lord, they thought they were saved. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and done many wonderful works in thy name, and cast out devils in thy name? And he says to them, yes, but you lost your salvation after you messed up. No. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You were never saved to begin with. You were never one of my people. But if you believe not his writings, Old Testament, how shall ye, all of you, believe my words? The Jews, as I say, went through the motions. The Jews thought that they were on the right side of God. Like most of the world think they are on the right side of history, and yet most of the world are not on the right side of history, and most of the world are not on the side of God. Go to John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1, take a look, if you will, at verse 7. The same came for witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. All men without exception. And Calvinists say that unless Christ has chosen you before the foundation of the world, unless he has drawn you unto him, unless he grants you repentance to come to him, you can't be saved. You are damned. And therefore the God of Calvinism takes great pleasure in not only the life, but also the death of many people. He sits back and rubs his hands with glee when he sees man struggling and dying and going to hell forever. But that's not what the God of the Bible is all about. The same came for witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men and women, through him might believe. The just shall live by faith. Nine, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. When a man gets born, he has a light from God. He has God's imprimatur. He is made in the image of God. He's a three-part being. Man was made for eternal fellowship with the Lord. Man's soul is eternal because God is eternal. Man wasn't made for hell. The Word of God tells us how hell was made for the devil and his angels. So if you are trying to understand this whole subject of heaven and hell, it's something along the lines of this, that man was made for eternal fellowship with the Lord. So man is eternal in the sense that his soul lives on forever. So when you die, you either go up to heaven, paradise, or you go down into the ground, hell. And you burn there forever. And when you come across groups that try to redesign hell, try to reinterpret hell and teach that it isn't eternal conscious suffering, they are liars, they are heretics. And on top of that, when you come across people that teach faith and works, they are heretics as well. Let me say this very quickly that I still believe that Catholics laity and clergy are for the most part 
victims of their own religion. And yet saying that, I will say this, that the priests are not going to be exonerated because the priests are preaching a false gospel which will damn millions of Catholics to hell. It's solely by the grace of God that Catholics do get saved, not because of their church, but in spite of their church. They hear the gospel outside of their church, they believe it, they receive it, and praise God for that. But you can't get saved inside the Catholic Church. In fact, saying that, let me say this, that the Catholic Church puts a curse on anybody who teaches that you are saved by faith alone. And down the line, I want to do a video on the curse of Rome. Ask yourself this, what sort of a church system would put a curse on somebody? For those of us which are saved, we are living in the Church of Grace, the Age of Grace. We want people to be reconciled to the Lord. I can't imagine putting a curse on anybody, but Rome does. Rome puts a curse on Catholics and Protestants. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The same came for witness, to bear witness of the light that all men, through him, might be saved. God wants you to be saved. If you are a man or woman, if you are Jew or Gentile, if you are a boy or a girl, he wants you to be saved right here, right now. This isn't a game. 155,000 people die every day. That's around 8,000 an hour. 150,000, I should say, not 155,000, 150,000 die every 24 hours of the day. That's 8,000 an hour. And according to the word of God, most people die as they lived lost. They're going to go to hell and burn. And they're going to burn and they're going to burn. But why put yourself through that? Why not get saved? As somebody once said, it's not getting something for nothing, it's getting everything for nothing. Look at verse 12, please. But as many as received him, Jesus of course, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Salvation, being the new birth, is a supernatural act, which are born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not the will of man, but of God. Salvation, therefore, is of God. You can't save yourself. Paul wasn't sent to baptize. He was sent to preach the gospel. The Old Testament saints were saved by believing. Not one Old Testament saint got baptized. The thief on the cross believed and was saved. I got saved 14 years ago. I wasn't baptized until a good 12 months later. Don't tell me I wasn't saved until I got baptized. I was saved the moment I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This term, the Lamb of God, is figurative language. This will build up till we get to John chapter 6. Jesus Christ wasn't a literal lamb. The term lamb denotes a sacrifice. The term lamb denotes a very docile creature, totally in need of its shepherd, being God the Father. One more time. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Christ died on the cross once. He would say, it is finished. Christ went into the Holy of Holies once. Christ shed his blood once. Salvation is a done deal. 
and therefore when you look at the Catholic Church, the Mass, and we'll get, to there, we'll get there shortly, they believe in a continuation of Calvary, in a non-bloody sense of course, but you are told that by, uh, excuse me, by, without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins, meaning this, that without the shedding, without the spilling, without the blood being shed, there's no remission of sins, and that's why Christ had to die on the cross. What he went through is what you and I deserve. He was whipped to death. He was detained all night. He was starved. And he probably lost most of his blood by the time they took him off the cross. What he went through for sinners is what you and I should go through when we die. We should be punished. We should be whipped. And yet most people don't believe that. But one more time, without the shedding of blood, literal blood, there is no omission of sins. And that's why the Catholic Mass is a blasphemy. A fable. Chapter 2. Take a look at verse 18, please. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us? Seeing that thou doest these things. Once again, they want to see a miracle. But this, of course, is a smoke screen. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was his temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? They had no idea what he was talking about. Now you need to get that down, because the Lord spoke many times in parables. Matthew 13, he would speak in a way that one group wouldn't get it, and yet another group would get it. Forty and six years was his temple in building, and walked out, reared up in three days. Is he speaking about the temple? Is he speaking about Jerusalem? 21, but he spake of the temple of his body. He doesn't correct them. He leaves them in ignorance. And it's so important that you understand that because they weren't his people. Sure, they were Jews. Sure, they were children of Abraham, but they weren't his people. They were physical descendants of Abraham, of course, but they were part of that group that were cursed, that were under the Lord's judgment. And you wouldn't know this from 21 until John wrote this. Chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him, Emmanuel. They knew who Jesus was, I believe that, and yet from John 11, they didn't want the Romans to come and take the kingdom from them. They were political, you see. They wanted to be up there with the big boys. So Nicodemus is being quite honest here. Rabbi, we know, the children of Israel, the elite from the Sanhedrin, that thou art a teacher come from God. That's pretty remarkable and yet they wouldn't believe on him we know this man he's a son of Joseph we know his mother and father we know his brethren for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him Emmanuel God with us and yet after you get saved God is in you remarkable three and Jesus answered I said unto him Verily, verily, I say unto thee, 
Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus approached the Lord at night because he knew that to be seen in public with the Lord would mean either excommunication or death. And the Lord, like the crowd from chapter 2, 18 down to 21, completely bypasses Nicodemus's initial interest in the Lord and gets right down to business. Verily, verily, listen to me. I say unto thee, starts with a singular pronoun, except a man or woman be born again, regenerated. He cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God until you are born again, which again is a supernatural event. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He has no idea what Jesus Christ is even talking about. Like the Jews from chapter 2, and like maybe some of the Jews from chapter 1, the Lamb of God. Who's the Lamb of God? What is the Lamb of God? Jesus answered, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Water being your first birth, proven to me that only humans can be redeemed. Animals cannot be redeemed. Angels cannot be redeemed. When an angel falls, that angel cannot be redeemed. And when an animal dies, that animal cannot be redeemed. Animals don't have souls. They have spirits. Six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Water, five, flesh, six, you can't miss it. If you think that this is speaking about water baptism, and if you trust in that to save you, you're going to go to hell. In fact, I think more people have gone to hell believing in a water baptism than probably any other activity in the world. And that's why the papacy is false. That's why those that teach in water baptism as a means of salvation are liars. You are saved by the precious blood of the Lamb. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit, second birth. Take these verses together. You've got a man called Nicodemus, a very bright man, a man from the world of academia, who had no idea what the Lord was talking about. And he says to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. You have to appropriate the atonement. You have to reach out to the Lord to be saved. But one more time, if you trust in the water to save you, you will be damned. I wasn't sent to baptize. I was sent to preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Read Romans 10, 1 to 4. It speaks about the Jews not receiving Christ because they were trusting in their own righteousness. Like today, Catholics are trusting in the mass, Mary, the Pope, or Protestants are trusting in their church attendance. Now, for some of you, this is academic. I understand that. And for some of you, you know this pretty well. But for most people, they don't understand this. Most people trust in a water baptism to save them. And that's not what this is speaking about. So one more time. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man or woman be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Water being a first birth, your literal birth, when you came into the world, but the Spirit being the new birth, 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh first birth won't save you and that which is born of the spirit is spirit second birth that is what saves you John chapter 4 still concerning this whole subject of figurative language dealing with the fact that most of the Lord's initial audience were under the judgment of God and therefore had no idea what he was talking about John chapter 4 look at verse 7 please there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water Jesus saith unto her give me to drink now yes he was thirsty yes he was tired but of course this term for water is going to be used to explain a much deeper theme which went right over her head 11 the woman saith unto him sir thou hast nothing to draw water with and the well is deep from whence then hast thou that living water she thinks he's talking about literal water like the Jews back in John chapter 2 is he speaking about the temple the literal temple like Nicodemus what's he talking about and he doesn't even correct her 13 Jesus answered and said unto her whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life the woman saith unto him sir give me this water that I thirst not neither cometh hither to draw she had no idea what he was talking about and he doesn't correct her go to John chapter 6 John chapter 6 is argued and fought over by Catholics and Calvinists and both groups completely misunderstand John chapter 6 but keep in mind what I've shown you the last little while to understand the issue that is now going to be presented to you John chapter 6 look at verse 26 please Jesus answered them and said verily verily I say unto you you seek me not because you saw the miracles but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled labor not for the meat which perisheth but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you for him hath God the Father sealed this is a gift from God first of all to the children of Israel and vicariously to the Gentiles and you and I the moment we get saved you seek me not because you saw the miracles but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled like back in the Old Testament when the Lord God fed the children of Israel Jesus Christ would also feed the children of Israel on more than one occasion but he says labor not for the meat which perisheth never mind literal food man's eternal you see but for that meat which endureth unto life everlasting or everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you this is a one-off act for him hath got the Father sealed 32 then Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you Moses gave you not that bread from heaven but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven he says never mind Moses you need to focus on me because I'm greater than Moses I'm greater than Solomon I'm greater than the temple and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath 33 for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world they hated that we know this man he's the son of Joseph and he's got six brothers and sisters 
we know his mother Mary who does he think he is you see this was the issue that the Lord came up against time after time 35 and Jesus said unto them I am the bread of life he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst he's not speaking about literal hunger or literal thirst but I said unto you that ye ought to have seen me and believe not you won't come to me that you might have life O Jerusalem Jerusalem thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that were sent unto thee how often would I have gathered thy children unto me but ye would not come so on and so forth from Matthew 23 37 all that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out he's dealing with jury he's dealing with the unbelieving remnants and he's dealing with the believing remnants he wants to build up the faith of the Apostles and he wants to build up the faith of you if you're saved but the last part of 37 one more time and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out if you come to him he is yours and you are his and you will never be cast out that's what we call eternal security once saved always saved or if saved always saved for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me they must have been incredulous to hear such a statement he is affirming his deity in case you missed it and this is a father's will which hath sent me that of all which he hath given me I shall lose nothing but shall raise it up again at the last day it being the church it being the believing remnant all that the father hath given me will come to me that I will lose nothing but shall raise it up again at the last day double security this is so precious and yet rarely preached in the world today 40 and this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I raise him up at the last day he's speaking specifically about the children of Israel because you haven't seen the Son of God in fact you were told that those that hadn't seen him were blessed and this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son physically but now we see him through spiritual eyes the just shall live by faith you understand and believeth on him no works involved may have present tense everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day that is deity only God can raise the dead and therefore Jesus Christ is affirming his deity 41 the Jews then murmured at him because he said I'm the bread which cometh down from heaven or I'm the bread excuse me which came down from heaven and they said now watch it is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know 
How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? That's what is going on here in John chapter 6. They knew him and they wouldn't believe on him. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. Keep your mouth shut, he's saying. That's why he was so firm with the Jews. Because they were not only rejecting him, they were also trying to trip him up. And on top of that, they were trying to undermine his apostles' faith in him. Like the Catholic Church does. The Catholic Church liked to undermine the scripture. The Catholic Church liked to get your eyes off the scripture and onto them. And isn't it interesting how they use this piece of scripture, and I'll get there shortly, to uh, take literally, eat my flesh, drink my blood, so on and so forth, and yet when you go to Matthew chapter 5, if you lust after a woman, pluck your eye out, or cut your hand off, that isn't taken literally, is it? They completely bypass Matthew 5, and they spiritualize that, which you should do, but when you get to John chapter 6, which you should spiritualize, they take it literally, which of course is absolutely foolish. 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I raise him up at the last day. He's saying to the Jews, you can't come to me unless the Father draws him or draws you to him. No man, no woman can come to me. But don't forget Matthew 11, if you are weary, heavy laden. Don't forget Matthew 7, if you knock, if you seek. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I raise him up at the last day. You've got two groups of jury one more time. One group doesn't believe, isn't interested, is under the judgments of God, and the other group are the believing remnant. And also this is going back to Matthew chapter 1, how the new birth is all of God. You can't save yourself. You need God to save you. And he will save you the moment you believe on him. Forty-seven. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You've got it right away. And yet Catholics believe that you need the Mass to stay saved. You can't know you're saved. And yet here you are told that if you believe, you've got it straight away. But Calvinists say that no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. True. But they don't tell you that from John chapter 12. He's drawn all men unto him. And neither do they explain to you that jury for the most part was under the judgment of God. 51. I'm living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Once again, he's affirming his deity. He wasn't a literal loaf of bread. He wasn't a literal lamb. This is figurative language. And he's speaking in figurative language because the Jews, for the most part, were under the judgment of God. 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Is he speaking about the temple? John chapter 2. How can a man be born when he is old? Does he go back into his mother's womb? Can you see the theme here? They don't understand what he's speaking about. Sir, give me this water so I never thirst. 
he wasn't speaking about a literal bottle of water from John chapter 4 he wasn't speaking about the literal temple from John chapter 2 and here he's not speaking about his body being a literal loaf of bread 53 then Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood you have no life in you this is where the Catholics get their mass from and they literally believe that the wafer not unleavened bread I should add becomes the literal body the literal flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ and they fall into what's called letterism they take this verse literally and yet they won't take Matthew 5 literally concerning lusting they're inconsistent 54 whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I raise him up at the last day you got it right away the moment you eat his flesh and drink his blood you got it right away and yet you know if you've got any common sense that he wasn't speaking about literally eating him or drinking him the apostle didn't put him to death and start eating him like cannibals would do for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed in other words I'm more than enough for you if you just receive me he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him 56 one more time he that eateth my flesh a one-off act and drinketh my blood a one-off act dwelleth in me and I in him again Emmanuel being God with us but how about God in us and even that wasn't revealed until the new birth until after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ as a living father hath sent me and I live by the father so he that eateth me even he shall live by me figurative language you can't miss it this is that bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead he that eateth of this bread shall live forever those that were followers of Moses died because your blood's no good the wages of sin is death Paul died Peter died James died one day you will die one day I will die we're all going to die this is that bread which came down from heaven the sustainer of everlasting life not a literal loaf of bread not as your fathers that eat manna and are dead you need spiritual food my friends he that eateth of this bread shall live forever now I believe in breaking bread I believe in I believe in uh, remembering the Lord's Supper and Catholics say well you were told in 1st Corinthians 3 6 and 11 that if you break the bread of the Lord unworthily you are guilty of his body and of his blood and they teach that also to reinforce them reinforce the mass excuse me but what Corinthians 3 6 and 11 is speaking about is your body because your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost so when you defile your body like through fornication like through adultery like through living like the devil and then come to the Lord's table perhaps drunk or perhaps with unconfessed sin then you are defiling it and that's why the Corinthians were sleeping it wasn't they were uh, receiving communion like mass for, the mass for example and therefore were guilty of 
defining that. No, they were sinful. They were in sin. They were carnal. And because they were carnal, because they were worshipping the Lord, like in an orgy sense, and not confessing their sins to the Lord, the Lord put many of them to death. Because it's a temple that is holy. Not the bread. Not the wafer. Not the cup. Not the Eucharist. The body is holy. Outside of God, outside of the Word of God, and outside of the temple of the saved man or woman, nothing or no one is holy. God, the Word of God, and the saved man or woman is what is holy. So that is what Corinthians 3, 6, and 11 is all about. Not the mass, not the bread, or the wine. Look at 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. There were no Christians present. He's speaking to the Jews in a synagogue in Capernaum. The communion service hadn't even been initiated up until this point in the Lord's ministry. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? This man thinks he's a Messiah. This man thinks he's Almighty God. This man thinks he's a bread which came down from heaven. That's what this was all about. They hated it. You don't believe me? Look at 42 again. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? You can't miss it, can you? Unless you don't want to see it. They didn't want to believe that one of their own people from Galilee, although he's born in Bethlehem, could be the Messiah, was the Messiah, was claiming to be deity. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? From 61, he's even now reaching out the hand of friendship to this large unbelieving remnant. Even when Judas came to betray him, he said, Friend, comest thou to betray me? He called Judas friend, not an enemy. What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, concerning the ascension, he's still speaking to the Jews under the law during his time on the earth, not to you and I living today. What? And if ye, all of you, shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, and some got to see that, like the apostles. Look at 63. It is a spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It is the spirit, the Holy Ghost, that quickeneth you, that makes you alive. Go back to John chapter 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, no good. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That is what saves you. That is what this is all about. The new birth. The flesh profiteth nothing. If you could eat my flesh, if you could drink my blood, it wouldn't help you anyway. You need the new birth. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Figurative language. Hyperbole language. Extreme language. Parables. Because Israel, for the most part, was under the judgment of God. Do you get it yet? I'm speaking to you Catholic people. The Catholics and the Calvinists are gravely in error when it comes to all these subjects, and yet what can you do? 
what can you do? But there are some of you that believe not. That's an understatement. But Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. You've got Judas, you've got Caiaphas, Annas, and most of Israel. And he said, therefore said unto you that no man can come unto me except were given unto him of my father. Humble yourself, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. But one more time, who does this man think he is? We'll have no man from Galilee reign over us. We have one king, Caesar. 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Are you also offended that I'm telling you that I'm Almighty God? That's the context, deity. Not eating him or drinking him. It's being identified with Moses, but a greater type of Moses. It's understanding that Moses was able to, under the Lord's supervision, lead the children of Israel, feed them with physical food, but now Jesus is going to feed you with spiritual food. 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God, affirming his deity. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. A devil, not the devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. There is so much going on in this book. So much going on. And for the most part, we miss it as Bible believers. So there's a crash course from John chapter 6. And uh, the reason I had to raise my voice was to be heard over the wind. I wasn't uh, giving anybody a lecture. But just to make the final thought concerning the Calvinists from 44, I'm trying to be fair here and look at both groups of people. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Okay, but John chapter 12, and I'll read it to you now. 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, would draw all men unto me, Jesus speaking. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, and he was, would draw all men unto me. He will give you a chance to be saved if you want to be saved and he will do whatever he can to save you and he will keep you saved and Calvinists say well that's all very well James but you need to be grand repentance to be saved go to Acts chapter 5 Acts chapter 5 uh, take a look at verse 30 please the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree picture of a cursed death him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins he's granted repentance to the Jews Acts chapter 5 go to Acts chapter 11 and I know this is pretty primitive stuff for some of you people but for many this is something which perhaps they haven't heard before Acts 11 Look at 18, please. When they heard these things, they held their peace 
and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles gone repentance unto life. He's gone to repentance to the Jew and the Gentile. He's drawn all men unto himself. Now you need to believe on him. This is what Calvinists don't tell people. Go to John chapter 16. But don't bother coming to him unless you know you're no good. Unless you can see yourself as a filthy sinner. John chapter 16. Get there in a moment. John chapter 16. Jesus speaking. Look at verse 7, please. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you, being the Holy Ghost, not Muhammad. And when he has come, he will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Not Muhammad, not Joseph Smith, not Charles Taze Russell, not the Pope of Rome, not Mary, not you, not me. He will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me you're saved by believing you're damned by not believing of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more the Jews hated that who does man think he is we'll have no man from Galilee to reign over us we'll have no man from Nazareth to reign over us we have one king which is Caesar John chapter 11 if we don't shut this man up, the Romans will come and take the kingdom from us. Of judgment, because a prince of this world is judged, being Satan, of course. So this will conclude the, I guess, overall theme of this message, that the Holy Ghost will come after Jesus goes back to heaven. He will convict the world of sin, and he will do what is necessary to bring sinners to the Saviour. But you can't get people saved unless they come to the Lord to be saved. You can preach the gospel to people, but unless they turn to the Saviour to be saved, they will remain their sins, and when they die, go to hell. So I think I've said all I wanted to say today. I actually wrote some verses down, believe it or not. I don't normally do that, uh, to make sure that when I came today, I wouldn't miss anything. And I'll just quickly look at my list to make sure that I've got all the main verses covered. And it looks like I have covered them all, which is quite unusual. Normally when I do videos, I go home and think to myself, you missed this, you missed that, so on and so forth. But I think I've nailed all the points down that I wanted to nail down this morning. So, a very brief final wrap-up. Christ's body, Christ's flesh, is spiritual. In fact, I didn't give you one verse. Here, here am I saying I've covered them all. Forgive me. Uh, go to Psalm uh, 27, just to make it clear that the Lord's words were figurative. Uh, Psalm 27, look at verse uh, 1, please. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. 
to eat up my flesh means to put him to death. To be identified with the Messiah meant to be identified with a crucified Messiah. To eat his flesh, to drink his blood, means just that, to be identified with him. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Without the shedding of blood, there's no omission of sins. For the Jews, the thought of a crucified Messiah, I mean bloodied, nailed to a Roman cross, was a stumbling block. To the Jews, uh, it was a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, to the Greeks, it was foolishness. How can, a, how can a crucified man save the world? What's going on here? He's dying in your place. Don't you understand that? And therefore the Jews couldn't receive it, wouldn't receive it. But again, if he were standing here today and you started to eat him or drink his blood, it wouldn't save you. The apostles didn't eat his flesh or drink his blood. It's figurative language. It's to denote his death it's to make it clear that you need to be personally identified with him which means you need to be shamed as well because it's going to be shameful to be identified with a crucified Messiah it's figurative language and therefore if you take the time to read John chapter 6 if you read it carefully if you understand the parables if you understand what I've been showing you over the last hour and a bit he's speaking in parables metaphors and when the Jews, the disciples in John 6, start to moan, start to complain about what he's talking about, he turns around and then briefs his disciples. Did you notice that? He doesn't explain to the multitude who have rejected him, who are foolish enough to think he's speaking about his literal body, like the Catholics do. He leaves them in the dark, like the Jews who thought he was speaking about the temple, like the woman who thought he was speaking about literal water, like Nicodemus who thought he was speaking about... Uh, I'm going back into one's mother's womb. He turns to the disciples and says to them, but what if you can see me ascend up where I was before? Acts chapter 1, being the ascension. And he explains to them that the words are spiritual. The flesh profits nothing. And he further elaborates, he further explains to the disciples the true meaning of John chapter 6, which the Catholics completely miss. And therefore they're going to go to hell because they think by going to mass that will save them. The Calvinists are just as bad. They say you can't come to Jesus unless he draws you to him. But they forget to tell you that he's already drawn you to him. And has already granted repentance to you. And now waits for you to receive him. But if you don't take the time to read the Bible, how would you know these things? And therefore Psalm 27 when the wicked, even mine enemies, are my foes, a picture of sinners, a picture of you and I before we were saved, came upon me to eat up my flesh. In a spiritual sense, you understand, but here it's, uh, here it's uh, physical. They stumbled and fell. Picture of salvation. Get down on your knees. Get down on your knees and call on the name of the Lord. There's much more in this book than just John 3:16. And when the wicked, or when the wicked, that's you and I, even mine enemies and my foes, unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Gentiles, came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. He even died for false teachers. Go to Second Peter. 
I've got a few moments, Second Peter, and Calvinists believe in an awful doctrine called limited atonement. And that means this, that Christ only died for the elect. And if you're not one of the elect, too bad. You can't be saved, you're going to be damned, and yet once again, the Word of God doesn't teach that. Second Peter 2, 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord, that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. I did get that. False teachers among the people, Old Testament. False teachers among you, New Testament. Who privately, or privily, Old English for privately, subtly, shall bring in damnable heresies. Like, uh, you can be saved by going to the Mass, you can be saved by being baptised, or there's no hell, or uh, you need to be a good Mormon, or a good Jehovah's Witness, or war God's children. That's damnable. That's heretical. Even denying the Lord, being Jesus, that bought them, redeemed them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. I won't spend much more time on the Calvinist side of this message, but I'll just say this very briefly because it's getting very windy that he died for everybody and everything. Okay? He's drawn all men unto him, Jew and Gentile. But that only goes so far when it comes to your salvation because you now need to turn to him and believe on him in order to be saved. The Jews wouldn't believe on him. They said, no, we don't want this man to reign over us. We're going to stay under the law. Okay, fine. They die and go to hell. The Catholics are trusting in the mass to save them. Okay, fine. They're going to die and go to hell. The Protestants think they're going to go to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule. Okay, fine. They're going to go to hell. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists all think they're going to go to heaven or paradise by being good. JWs, Mormons, SDA, what have you, they're going to go to hell. That's how serious this thing is. You need Christ's imputed righteousness. You need to be born again. You need to come to the foot of the cross to be saved. It's a free gift. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. To them that believe on his name, which were not born of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's completely of God. For by grace are you saved by faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now do you get that? Ye must be born again. Come to Jesus Christ, trust in him, believe on him, and you will pass from death unto life. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do, and if you do that, you'll be saved, and you'll be kept saved. But the Jews didn't want to do it, the Catholics don't want to do it, the Muslims won't do it, the world for the most part are not interested, and therefore they're going to go to hell when they die. But don't tell me this teaches that you can't be saved unless the Lord draws you to him. He's drawn you unto him. Don't tell me this book teaches the Mass. It does not. The Mass is a non-bloody sacrifice, but this was a very bloody sacrifice. Six hours on the cross naked. They pierced my hands and my feet. He was so 
bruised, he was so smashed up, you couldn't even recognize him. So you've got a lot of material from today and I hope you've been able to follow along with me. Unfortunately, it's very windy, which is awful weather to have to work in. The sun has come out, praise the Lord. It's not cold, but it's windy. But I hope you are able to read along with me and uh, write the verses down and go through the verses at your own leisure and uh, we'll be able to see that behind the parables there's a much deeper meaning but until you're saved until you're regenerated this goes right over your head because you are a corpse you are dead in your sins and for that part the Calvinists are right before you get saved you are dead in your sins but listen you aren't totally depraved meaning this that you know the right you know the difference between right and wrong you know the difference between right and wrong so therefore even though you are dead in your sins before the new birth you still know the difference between right and wrong you have enough light in you because Christ lights you when you come to the world to turn to him you have creation you have the word of God so I don't go for the total depravity line which the Calvinists put out yes you are depraved yes you are dead in your sins but not to the extent that you can't discern the difference between right and wrong because Christ lights every man that cometh into the world he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light he wants all men everywhere to be saved he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked he's not willing that any should perish go to hell but should come to everlasting life so there you are I think I've said all I want to say and I will jump out of camera shot and uh, allow you to look at this pretty lake behind me but uh, just look at those clouds if you will very ominous if I say so myself and I've done what I needed to do today crash course and uh, hopefully you've been able to read along with me get a blessing and uh, I'm almost out of time so I will wish you every possible blessing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, keep reading the Word of God enjoy what Christ has done for us rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, I will be back to speak to you all next time. The Lord bless you all and Maranatha.